Seriously. Hey, if you don't have the good sense to save yourself and your political career, that's okay. At least you're going to get some good Republicans elected. And, you know, we like you. But, my God, maybe you're not that bright. Maybe Trump's actually a dumbass. <laughs> Alex Jones calling Donald Trump a dumbass? He would know. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nothing's right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this (laughs) is Alex Jones. No, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative Blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And for a change, it's a busy news day. I have no idea how much of this we're actually going to get through today, Desi Doyen. But we will give it the old college try, (laughs) as they say. Uh, First, I want to start here, though, because I'm telling you, this is going to be 2021 is going to be seen as the summer of climate change, or at least the the summer when everyone in the country finally took notice of climate change. Because, in fact, I fear that every summer from here on out is actually going to be the summer of climate change. Bingo. Uh, but this one, uh, as, as Desi, you once again detail in your Green News report coming up a bit later. Yep. If there's time uh, is is uh, this this summer is getting pretty impossible for even the most wildly disinformed climate change deniers to not notice. I, I mean, you know, it's everywhere at this point, including tragically in Tennessee and North Carolina just over the past couple of days. We will get to that a bit later. But. Uh, for any stragglers, particularly those on the on the right who have been so scammed for so long about so much, but but on nothing more than our climate emergency, maybe this story will get their attention because it in one sense, it's a bit of happy climate change news <laughs> of a sort. One of those very rare moments that may leave some actually rooting for climate change in one sense. In this case, uh, Brian Kahn at Gizmodo had the scoop. It turns out ignoring bedrock environmental laws may not have been the best choice 
for a multi-billion dollar construction project. Yes, even by a builder who told us over and over again how he was the greatest builder the world had ever seen. Photos published by Gizmodo show former President Donald Trump's border wall in deep disrepair after summer monsoon rains literally blew floodgates off of their hinges. The damage took place near San Bernardino Ranch, a historic site that sits between Douglas, Arizona and the San Bernardino Wildlife Refuge. Much of the West, as you may have heard from us once or twice on this program, has been suffering through a deep mega drought. But the monsoon rains that have swept across parts of the Southwest this summer have doused the southern half of Arizona with record-setting rains. I mean, it's been either feast or famine, depending on where you live in this country, when it comes to it's either drought or unstoppable rain. The Southwest kind of has both. They're in a mega drought, but for once they're getting some more rain. At least parts of it are. Yeah. Douglas has seen uh, nearly double its average monsoon rainfall this uh, mon monsoon season rainfall so far this year, including a blast that came through on Monday and unleashed flooding on the Arizona-Sonora border. The National Weather Service data shows 2.15 inches of rain fell, which in turn funneled into the washes and drove the flooding. Now, compared to the news out of Tennessee over the weekend, which Desi will discuss in our Green News report, where an unprecedented more than 17 inches of rain fell in just a 24-hour period, bringing a tidal wave of water literally through several towns, wiping out homes, washing away cars and killing more than 22 people, well, 2.15 inches may not seem like a lot. But in a desert landscape during monsoon season, that is a lot of water that falls all at once, that takes a whole lot with it, as it has to go somewhere in the otherwise parched desert. Jose Manuel Perez Cantu, the director of a local nonprofit Borderlands Restoration Network down there, reports uh, that six gates in the wall, in the supposedly impenetrable wall, were washed out. And that uh, one and in, in that one location alone, other gates were also reportedly impacted by the heavy rainfall and flooding. The power and height of the water can be seen in not just the heavy gates that were ripped open, but the debris that wrapped around intact portions of the wall. Turns out that when you build a wall in a place where there shouldn't be a wall, Nature has a thing or two to say about it. And I suspect nature may get the final word on the matter. Gosh, you think? I'm thinking, yeah. And by the way, some of these areas where these gates are getting ripped off are in uh, remote areas. They are not checked by officials very often. So months at a time, you can end up with wide open gates, holes right in the middle of this impenetrable border wall. Yeah, these floodgates, especially specifically to allow floodwaters to come through, have to be left open for months during the monsoon season or else the monsoon will rip the wall down, as we just saw. And it's uh, ripping it out anyway, apparently. Uh, who, who could have predicted this, Gizmodo <laughs> asks before answering, ah, yes, just about everyone. I will build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me. Believe me, and I'll build them very inexpensively, Trump said when he announced his run for president in 2015. Quote, I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will make Mexico pay for that wall. Mark my words. 
<clears throat> your words have been marked, sir. Mexico did not, in fact, as you may have heard, uh, end up paying for the wall at all, which the uh, led the uh, disgraced former president to declare a national emergency so that he could essentially steal money from the military and other federal projects and programs to build that wall. Nor was the wall inexpensive. It cost the public billions in overruns, but it was apparently also chintzily built. Brian Kahn argues in the rush to build the wall, Trump sidelined environmental and cultural protection laws, laws, by the way, that are there for a reason. And not just to be politically correct, as Republican climate deniers and uh, other fossil fuel tools will try to tell you, those laws are meant to protect the natural world and historically significant artifacts and sites, but they also serve the purpose of ensuring multi-billion dollar construction projects don't face catastrophic failures within a few years of being built. Imagine that. Much of the work was outsourced for the wall to private companies, which raked in billions, con reports, including the Southwest Valley Constructors, which did most of the work in Arizona. The company pulled in $2.7 billion in federal contracts and have faced lawsuits from private landowners who claim explosions tied to the construction sent car-sized boulders onto their land. There are also multiple OSHA complaints against the company, which is a whole separate issue. The location near San Bernardino Wildlife Refuge, where the uh, gates were blown off the wall from the recent monsoons, is one of a growing number of chinks in the rushed wall. Another section in Texas where levees were destroyed has left hundreds of thousands exposed to catastrophic flooding. Yes, making matters even worse. And why were the levees in Texas destroyed? Well, I had to look that one up. Apparently, as reported earlier this year, during the construction of the wall back in 2019 and 2020, levees that normally shield communities from the Rio Grande River were flattened by the Trump administration to make room for the border wall. Local news outlets reported at the time that there were at least four weak points in the levee system near the border town of Mission, Texas, including one right next to an RV park. Well, what could possibly go wrong there? Biden's executive order uh, since taking office to halt the construction of Trump's wall means that construction is on pause, leaving these levees flattened and the communities that live near them at risk. Hidalgo County officials have warned that thousands of people in the area could be affected by a major rainstorm or a hurricane because of the levee breaches, the purposeful levee breaches, especially since much of the flood infrastructure in the region is already outdated. Yes, even before they did away with the levees. Now, if only a few trillion dollars in infrastructure investments would be adopted by Congress to do something about that, well, we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Lakin Jordal, a campaigner at the Center for Biological Diversity, told The Earther, uh, that's a, uh, a environmental outlet. Is that the best way to er, describe it? Yeah, Earther, Earther is, <clears throat> is their vertical, if you want to call it that, for environmental news at Gizmodo. They uh, 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 told uh, Earther, uh, quote, much of Trump's wall in South Texas is being built through the Rio Grande's floodplain, 
floodplain, a massive river that swells and floods seasonally. Building walls in a floodplain causes severe flooding danger and puts communities on both sides of the border at risk. In April, Texas Republican U.S. Senator uh, John Cornyn wrote a letter to the Department of Homeland Security urging the agency to take action to repair the levees. You know, the ones that his president, Donald Trump, flattened to build his dumb wall in Texas. The dumb wall that cost billions and put hundreds of thousands of people at risk and can be scaled, by the way, with a $5 ladder, as AP recently showed. Uh, At least when its floodgates aren't blown open predictably by climate change for months at a time, allowing people to simply walk through, save the five dollars. You don't even need the ladder. Cornyn wrote, uh, leaving the levees in their current state could put more than 200,000 Texans in the path of catastrophic flooding as hurricane season rapidly approaches. I'm sure it'll be fine. In 2010, Hurricane Alex slammed the region, killing more than 30, causing the Rio Grande to overflow, inundating roads and bridges along the border. And that was before the Trump administration flattened the protective levee system. Last year, Hurricane Hannah flooded streets and buildings, caused millions of dollars in damage to the agricultural sector. But again, it'll be fine. With only uh, 450 miles of Trump's planned 2,000-mile wall ever completed, and in fact, I should note here, only 80 of those miles were actually new wall versus replacement of fencing that was already in place there previously. It it was all executed at, at a breakneck pace, bypassing most of the required environmental review processes and planning laws, thanks in part to a Supreme Court decision that allowed the administration to proceed unencumbered. Unfortunately, climate change has yet to sweep away the GOP's stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court just yet. At the time, the levees were scheduled to be flattened. Environmental groups, community organizations at the border banded together to submit comments to the Customs and Border Patrol regarding their concerns about flattening the levees to construct the wall. The Center for Biological Diversity's Jordal said these concerns were completely ignored, not even responded to by CBP. And we watched in horror as wall construction crews began to destroy the levee system to build a wall that would only worsen the risk of flooding. Trump's desperation to build this ridiculous wall has put our entire region in severe danger, said Jordal. Biden must step in and stop this madness by permanently halting wall construction and, I guess, getting to work at this point to rebuild The levees that the Trump administration tore down. That's Texas. Meanwhile, back in Arizona, where the recent monsoon flooding has already busted open parts of Trump's crappy, hastily and shoddily built wall, Miles Traffigan, the Borderlands program coordinator at the Wildlands Network, said, quote, it's clear that these contractors were not companies that were Uh, that really were taking the long-term integrity of the product into account. The sad thing is that it was overseen by the Army Corps of Engineers, 
Taking off the environmental hat, he said, when you're building dams, the snail darters die and salmon are affected. However, the bottom line is, at least, there is an economic net gain by society, whereas the border wall is a complete suck of money. We don't benefit by any of that. Well, maybe we don't, Miles, but Trump's favored Construction companies certainly do. Somebody benefited a lot. It remains to be seen what the future holds for the wall with uh, President Biden's construction moratorium currently in place. Still, Trump managed to get, uh, well, again, they repeat 450 something miles of that wall built. And that has created an environmental catastrophe for one of the most fragile ecosystems in North America, a place where the wildlife from the tropics, desert and mountains all mingle. Images captured during construction of uh, iconic saguaros being raised, in other words, knocked down, as well as numerous environmental impact statements laid the risks bare at the time. Traffigan described camera trap photos that uh, his group has to, uh, documenting everything from rare jaguars to common javelinas pacing along the wall in search of a way around. Well, these severe floods may have given them a passageway, at least near San Bernardino. Hopefully they've got Google Maps in order to get there. And the uh, monsoons, which have now become more intense due to climate uh, change in the climate crisis could rip further parts of the shoddily constructed wall asunder. So uh, maybe things will get even easier for those animals. Traffigan said it's not often that an ec ecologist can actually put a timestamp on the day that the evolutionary history of an area was sealed off. Step number one to reversing course, he says, is to open up the gates where they exist and to remove sections of border wall in places where they're having the greatest impact to species, movement and migration. What a mess. What a disaster. Uh, but that's going on while everything else is going on and uh, everything from COVID to Afghanistan to infrastructure battles in Congress. So stuff like that is not getting the attention that, frankly, it deserves the great boondoggle, not just taxpayer money boondoggle on the border, but environmental boondoggle yep. for, you know, people and, and animals alike. That will cost there. us billions to build, billions to pay for the disasters yep. and the problems that that causes and billions to remove it. So way to go, Trump. In still more news of disasters denied by the Trump administration and left behind for all of us to clean up and try to survive. The drastic virus explosion uh, <laughs> in, in, in Florida, uh, after four days of irrigation austerity in Orlando, Florida, officials are now urging residents to continue cutting back on watering their lawns and other non-essential water use. Why? Yes, not because of a drought in Orlando, but because of COVID-19. Floridians are being asked to cut their water usage drastically from 25 to 50 percent because of COVID. Because of the explosion of cases in the area, which has put a premium on liquid oxygen used to treat hospitalized COVID patients. Liquid oxygen 
as it turns out, is also used to purify water. And there is a not, not enough liquid oxygen, apparently, to go around. Hmm, what should we use it for? To water people's lawns or to save people's lives? Right now, we need to conserve water, said Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer, describing the situation as, quote, another result of what happens when people do not get vaccinated, become critically ill, and require medical treatment. Linda Ferrone, Chief Customer and Marketing Officer at Orlando Utilities Commission, or OUC, raised the prospect of introducing a boil water advisory if residents are unable to collectively... Uh, cut back enough in their usage because they need the liquid oxygen for the patients. They can't purify the water for everyone else. On Monday, OUC said in a statement, the quote, we have seen a moderate decrease in water demand, describing the drop as, quote, a good start and urging residents to continue limiting their water use. The public utility company said it's aiming to conserve 25 to 50% of typical daily water use. Uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Vice President Cheney who said uh, you can't conserve your way out of a crisis? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I think they're going to have to try to do that right now down in South Florida. It is difficult to determine how long the liquid oxygen shortage is going to last because it's tied to the number of COVID-19 patients that are being treated in hospitals with oxygen. That is how bad it has now become in Florida. OUC is sending out text messages to alert residents to cut back on water usage right now on Monday night. The OUC's uh, Ferrone wrote, if everyone does their part to reduce unnecessary water use, we can limit how much liquid oxygen we need to treat our water. And all that liquid oxygen can be used to treat COVID patients in need. The alert recalled a much more dire situation in India earlier this year when, yes, oxygen shortages in April and May preceded a spike in COVID deaths. Like much of Florida, Orlando is in the middle of yet another COVID wave, the size of which surpasses the previous surges of the virus in the area. Orange County, home to Orlando, has seen a 32 percent increase in hospitalizations over the past two weeks. And you know what tends to come after increases in hospitalizations. And as the uh, state's ambitious Governor and Trumpy presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis continues to threaten school districts who dare mandate masks for children, many of whom 12 years of age and under are not eligible for vaccines, unlike their parents who simply refuse to take them because they're idiots and or disinformed idiots, disinformed by idiots like Governor DeSantis, well, it is now children in Florida who are paying the largest price in the state. This is no longer a disease for the elderly, in case you have not heard. Kids 12 to 19 are now leading, leading all other age groups in Florida in the rate at which they test positive for COVID-19. Children in that age group who are tested have a positivity rate of 25% according to the Tampa Bay Times. But it's not just those annoying teenagers between 12 and 19. Kids 12 and younger have a rate of 23%, a positive test rate right now in the Sunshine State, and those are just the ones that are actually getting tested. 
Those uh, numbers come amid uh, Governor DeSantis and Florida state officials and their relentless attack on school districts who buck the governor's ban on requiring students and school staff to wear masks. Thankfully, more than five counties have implemented mask mandates despite the ban, including, by the way, Sarasota County, which is the first Republican-led county in the state to come to its senses. As it did late last week, Leon County Schools became the latest district over the weekend to mandate masks on Sunday in defiance of the governor. The school district's defiance uh, of DeSantis uh, has uh, brought harsh tactics in response from state-level officials. The Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran announced that Broward and Alachua counties had 48 hours to reverse their mask mandate before the state would begin withholding salaries of the school members who voted for the policies. Uh, Thankfully, uh, I don't believe they have reversed those policies. And thankfully, according to President Biden, the American Rescue Plan, which zero Republicans voted for earlier this year, can can in fact be used to pay the salaries of those school officials whose governors uh, who, who governors are now trying to withhold their pay from because they chose to protect children rather than the political ambitions of their idiot governors. Because remember, at all times, the only protection children have from covid is wearing masks. Meanwhile, these people are dying. It's real. It's happening. And the only way we know to prevent it is to get a vaccine. We are exhausted. Our patients and resources are running low and we need your help. This time around, this variant is deadlier. It is impacting the lungs quicker. It's eating away at the lungs. It's causing more problems. It's causing pneumomediastim and it's causing pneumothoraces and the patients are dying quicker. That was just a few of the scores of frustrated doctors, about 75 of them uh, who staged a walkout on Monday from several southern Florida hospitals to call out people who are refusing to be vaccinated against COVID and are now overwhelming the health care system. Jupiter Medical Center emergency room doctor Ethan Chapin at one of the pressers held by the doctors lamented, quote, the number of people that I'm going to see today who I don't need to, who don't need to be here, who shouldn't have been there in the first place if they had taken the simple advice of getting vaccinated. As I was slogging through all of this news today, a uh, Daily Coast blogger uh, noted that he saw a quote from an anonymous U.S. hospital staffer who said, quote, If you don't trust doctors and science to keep you from getting sick, why the hell are you clogging up hospitals trusting them to cure you? Excellent point. Florida infectious disease specialist Leslie Diaz emphasized uh, the science is here. The clinical trials are in abundance. We must stop denying the data. The vaccine still remains the most effective and reliable way to stop this madness. Yes, please. More than 150,000 people in Florida tested positive for COVID-19 in the week that ended last Friday as DeSantis continued to battle that uh, against mask mandates. And refuse to push for vaccinations, by the way. People with, uh, who are sick with COVID are now overwhelming hospitals with uh, many facilities completely out of available space in ICU units, jeopardizing not only the health of those with the virus, but also the patients who have other threatening illnesses and emergencies. Close to 17,000 people 
were hospitalized with COVID-19 across the state as of Sunday. 17,000 with COVID, with a majority in South Florida. Local news outlets are reporting there. Of those patients, 53% of them were in the ICUs. So that's almost 10,000 people in Florida in ICUs, likely on ventilators due to COVID, and almost all of them because they refused to get vaccinated. Apparently, this is all being driven by uh, unvaccinated people who are ages 18 to 64. They are the overwhelming load uh, in the hospitals. And then they are expressing regret from their ICU beds, according to the doctors. Palm Beach Gardens Medical Center Chief of Staff uh, Jose Diolazabal, uh, a pulmonologist, that's a lung and respiratory specialist, says uh, this has been a real crisis, a real state of emergency, adding that he is now treating a younger population and, quote, predominantly all unvaccinated. It is so frustrating to all of us, said a neurologist. Many of these patients have decided not to get vaccinated, but when they're hospitalized, they tell us they wish they had. Of course, it's not just Florida. Unfortunately, not by a long shot. They just happen to be the worst of the worst right now. But there's a contest for that among GOP-controlled states with wildly irresponsible Republican governors who place political ambition above the lives of their own constituents. The town of Ira Ann. Have you heard of this town, Desi Doyne? It's in Texas. I have not. Ira Ann. It's spelled almost like Iran, but it has two A's. So I suspect they go out of their way to not call it <laughs> Iran, the way they call the town clearly named Palestine, Palestine, they call it Palestine. I know. Anyway. And manor is pronounced minor. (laughs) Ira Ann in Texas is now completely shut down. According to the Texas Tribune, the oil field town with a population just north of 1,200 to 1,300 people had its local school shut down after about 25% of the staff, 16% of the student body tested positive or were in quarantine for COVID. The West Texas town only has a 14-bed hospital, zero critical care facilities. The Tribune reports that the closest hospital with the equipment and services needed uh, are all more than 80 miles or more away. The Ira Ann Sheffield Independent School District made the announcement after only five days of classes that they were shutting it down. Ira Ann schools uh, are one of the districts that are not fighting Republican Greg Abbott's anti-mask mandates. The district joins three other school districts that both allowed mask wearing to be optional and are now closed due to high COVID numbers. A statement from the district superintendent conveyed to parents that the school would be closed until at least the end of August. CNN reports that this may be an optimistic timetable as Iran saw 119 people tested in the first two weeks of August and 50 of those tests came back positive. That's a really high rate. The uh, town city council has already voted to close down the city building and postpone late fees on water and gas utilities, stop utility uh, disconnections for at least a month. The football season has been postponed. Well, now it's a crisis. (laughs) Uh, For all intents and purposes, Iran is shut down, period. 
the CEO of the General Hospital there, told CNN that he was very concerned for the community and whether the small town will be receiving the medical treatments that it needs. The hospital's chief nursing officer told CBS7, quote, we started seeing some patients come into our facilities that were needing more care than we could uh, get, than, than they could get at home last week. And now we have transferred some uh, patients to larger facilities. Our biggest issue right now is finding facilities that will take patients because every facility in the state is full, she said. That's the state of Texas. It's a big state. How's the old saying go when you're driving across Texas? The sun has risen, the sun has set, and here we is in Texas yet. Yep. And in all those, uh, all that space, there ain't no hospital beds. Ira Ann, like other districts that have closed down, is in an area where fewer than a third of residents are fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, by the way, uh, the Iran General Hospital reports on its website that it has, quote, a sufficient supply of Moderna COVID-19 vaccine available. Please call our rural health clinic with eligibility questions or to schedule your appointment today. Better to visit for a vaccine appointment than an appointment for which they are unable to treat you because they have no available beds and no critical care facilities, because when they try to send you elsewhere for that care, they may find that uh, no one has facilities at this point. Emergency room doctors in southeast Texas say they are running out of hospital beds there as well. Some patients are waiting hours, sometimes days, to be admitted into a hospital. Are there patients dying Because of this, that might not have died? Absolutely yes, said Southeast Texas Regional Advisory Council CEO Daryl Pyle. Dr. Pyle said, I am very concerned about the fatalities that are about to happen. As of last Friday, Pyle said 482 patients were waiting for hospital beds In his region, he said 211 of those patients are COVID positive, which also means, by the way, that 271 of them did not have COVID, more than those who did. So those who didn't have COVID, more than those who did, could not get a hospital bed when they needed one for any number of emergencies, thanks to the disinformed dupes who thought that it was much smarter for them to not take the life-saving free vaccines. An additional 120 patients were waiting for an ICU bed. 120 patients waiting for ICU beds. Of those, 65 are COVID positive. So again, uh, about more than half who need an ICU bed cannot get one thanks to the COVIDiots. Dr. Pyle told uh, KPRC2 the uh, poor nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists cannot see all the patients that are mounting in the lobby. And now we have patients waiting in the parking lots and we have patients waiting in the back of ambulances in the parking lots, which means, by the way, that those ambulances are not available to go rescue people who are having heart attacks or who are in car accidents or, yes, who cannot breathe because of covid because they failed to get vaccinated. Right now, the region is about 2000 nurses short But Pyle said it's a situation where there is nowhere to go. 
after waiting hours, y- y- maybe you can get into an emergency department room with a curtain drawn, and then you may be staying there for hours because there's a lack of nurses. In some cases, he says, patients are being flown out of state to places like Louisiana or Utah or Colorado or North Dakota or Minnesota, from Texas to Minnesota, just to get care. He said, we're used to being the place where patients fly to. They usually come here. They said that uh, staffers are using Google now to try to find hospitals across the country that may have open beds. They're calling like 50 to 60 hospitals a day just to find one bed. Dr. Pyle said, I have never seen anything like this. In an opinion piece at Washington Post on Monday, headlined, It's time for the GOP to dole out some tough love on vaccines. Good luck. Catherine Rampell opined a year and a half into the pandemic, 40% of eligible Americans still are not fully vaccinated. And while public health officials have begged the uninoculated to get shots, many ambitious Republicans and right-wing news personalities, and she puts news in quotes, thank you, Catherine, have perplexingly refused to do so. It did not have to be this way, she says. Conservative leaders, and she did not put conservative in quotes, but she should have, conservative leaders could have played up the personal responsibility angle and urged Americans to take ownership of their health and save taxpayers money. In June and July alone, Uncle Sam shelled out hundreds of millions of dollars to hospitalize the unvaccinated, according to Kaiser Family Foundation estimates. Or, she says, conservatives could have touted the family values inherent in getting shots because more adults getting vaccinated helps shield babies and children who remain ineligible. You know, family values. Or, she says, they could have promoted the Christian values, the idea of protecting the most vulnerable among us, including the immunocompromised. Instead, right-wing demagogues have indulged their followers' most infantile fantasies about freedom, which apparently includes the freedom to infect and potentially kill others. Enough with the excuses, she writes. Enough with the molly coddling and enough with the lies. If Republicans want to keep their constituents alive, they should start telling them the truth. At this point, I don't know. I don't know if they actually care about keeping their own constituents alive. I don't know what they care about anymore. Anyway, uh, if they do care about them, uh, yeah, they should start telling them the truth. But they are apparently too goddamn cowardly to do so at this point. So it's left to the rest of us to try. And by the way, it isn't working. All right. A bit of breaking news is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
They didn't. Nobody told me they'd be days like these. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Street. Yes, yeah, strange days indeed. Welcome back, uh, Brad Friedman from uh, bradblog.com. Uh, we did tell you, however, that uh, we didn't tell you there'd be days like these, but uh, that getting both of these landmark infrastructure, jobs, health care, education, climate change, tax bills through Congress that Democrats are trying to get through, that is, uh, makes up, comprises Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda. Well, we told you that that was not going to be easy. Here was moderate House Democrat Tim Ryan on Tuesday on the House floor. Look, we see, we see our Republican friends are very upset. They said, this is embarrassing. What are we doing? What have we done? What you're mad about is that we are delivering for the American people. We saved pensions. We cut taxes for working class people, invested in the communities, invested in the schools. And now universal preschool. Everyone can go to community college, vision, dental, hearing for Medicare recipients, paid family leave. If you think for one second, I'm going to apologize for what we're doing, you are wrong. Once again, we should have done this 30 or 40 years ago. And obviously, once again, the Republican Party is MIA. Now, that was the debate over uh, the, the, the bill that they were finally able to pass. But the real fight in the House actually for the last uh, several days has not been between Democrats and Republicans. It's actually been between Democrats and Democrats. In fact, moderate Democrats, not unlike Tim Ryan and progressive Democrats. To his credit, Tim Ryan did not join the group who uh, threatened to kill everything over the past couple of days. But House Democrats, just an hour or so before airtime here, voted to move forward with President Joe Biden's top legislative priorities after resolving a days-long standoff between leadership and so-called centrist rebels. Now, Desi, uh, you called these uh, Democrats, there was about <laughs> eight or nine of them, I think you called them the Mod Squad? Yes, that's what I call they're moderate? Yes, yeah, so-called moderate. I think they should be called conservatives, but... That's I saw me. I saw Greg Sargent refer to them as the sabotage squad. Oh, that's better. Because they threatened to block the multi-trillion dollar safety net expansion that Democrats have been trying to pass. And I, and yeah. all the millions of jobs that would be unleashed by it. They yep. also want to block that. I I would call this group of uh moderate conservative uh Democrats. I would actually call them the suicide squad. Mm. Because if they don't pass both the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill and the much larger $3.5 trillion human care, medical care, education, climate change, budget reconciliation bill, it will be suicide for Democrats on all sides of the political spectrum next year. Well, the House finally did vote in favor of this, uh, the blueprint for this uh, budget reconciliation rule. The House voted 220 to 212 to instruct committees now to write the actual $3.5 trillion bill, which can pass both chambers without any Republican support, as long as all the Democrats get along. To placate the so-called centrist Democratic holdouts who had been insisting on an immediate vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was already passed by the Senate, 
claiming that Americans cannot wait, even though, by the way, spending on that infrastructure bill, that can't even begin until October when the new fiscal year begins. Anyway, Speaker Nancy Pelosi committed uh, to placate them uh, to a September 27 deadline to vote on the Senate-passed infrastructure bill. So with that commitment and passage of the budget reconciliation blueprint by the House on Tuesday to match the one that has already been passed by the Senate, that was passed before just before the August recess, well, now that it's been passed in the House, it goes back to the Senate where everything, all of the details on the spending on this $3.5 trillion, all of that now needs to be hashed out in uh, in just a few weeks in time to make it back to the House for a vote so that both bills can be passed. If the smaller infrastructure bill is not passed, supposedly the Democratic centrists will not vote for the larger budget bill. And if the larger bill isn't passed, the House progressives will not vote for the smaller bipartisan infrastructure bill. And then nothing gets passed. And that's why those conservative Republicans, uh, I'm sorry, those conservative Democrats, (laughs) well, you know, trying to force passage of the infrastructure bill right now, who could then themselves walk away without voting for the larger bill, That's why they really are the suicide squad, because they seem prepared to kill everything and any chance that Democrats have of hanging on to either House of Congress next year. But Pelosi held her party together on Tuesday. All of the Democrats voted to uh, uh, back this uh, bill. No Republicans supported the measure, though that part was expected. Congressman John Larson, Democrat from Connecticut, said never bet against Nancy Pelosi, knowing the enormous amount of work that goes into something like this. And in the very narrow margins that we have here, it makes her job even more extraordinary. And she takes all the heat for being the leader at the same time. In fact, Democrats just have three votes to spare in the House. They have zero to spare in the U.S. Senate. Before the the vote, Biden and his uh, senior staff called a variety of House members, including the centrist skeptics, to advocate for Pelosi's plan of uh, passing both the infrastructure and the budget bill at the same time, saying that those are critical to the uh, White House agenda. Pelosi said in a statement, I'm committed to passing the bipartisan infrastructure bill by September 27. I do so with commitment to rally House Democratic support for its passage. We must keep the 51 vote privilege in the Senate by passing the budget and work with the House and Senate Democrats to reach agreement in order for the House to vote on a Build Back Better Act that will pass the Senate. Pelosi held meetings late until Monday night. She was supposed to vote on this blueprint on Monday, but this mutiny from these uh, nine or so moderates led by New Jersey's Josh Gottheimer, they they were insisting that the uh, infrastructure bill get an immediate vote and be signed into law before they even start crafting the larger bill. What are they thinking? I don't know. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, the leader of the Progressive Caucus, said in a statement, quote, as our members have made clear for three months, the two are in, in, integral, integrally. Is that the word? In, <laughs> integrally. <laughs> they're very much tied together. <laughs> and we will only vote for the infrastructure bill after passing the reconciliation bill, she said. 
Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told NBC that the September 27 deadline is, quote, a bit arbitrary. She said, personally, I'm not committing to any date. If reconciliation is not done by that time, she said, Democratic leaders absolutely should not assume that she will vote for the infrastructure bill. Good for her. Now, she said, I remain committed to voting on these two pieces of legislation together. Now, you might say that places AOC into the suicide squad since she, too, is vowing to kill the smaller infrastructure and jobs bill if the larger reconciliation bill on spending and taxes, if that is not passed. But if you have to pick a side here as to who may or may not be hurting the Dems the most with their threats, you can look no further than GOP Senate leader Mitch McConnell, his response to it all. He cheered the attempt by the moderate Democrats to uh, decouple the two bills. He said, I wish the moderates in the House success on Fox News Tuesday morning. He said they want to split the infrastructure bill away from this massive $3.5 to $5 trillion reckless tax and spending bill and deal with the two separately. I don't know how he just inflated it to $5 trillion, but that sounds good to me. <laughs> he uh, wants to hand them the rope. He said we're now down to just a handful of Democrats in the House, maybe nine or ten or maybe two in the Senate that don't sign on to this socialist agenda. So <laughs> I am pulling for them, he said. So, yeah, if Mitch McConnell is pulling for you, maybe you're on the wrong side of this issue as a Democrat. Just saying, by the way, the passage of this procedural motion on Tuesday afternoon now clears the way for the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to pass in the U.S. House. And well, for that to pass in the Senate, all we have to do is convince a few of the suicide squad Democrats in that chamber, like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, to modify the filibuster to pass it with 50 Democratic votes. I know it sounds impossible, but Manchin has said he is more interested in that election reform measure than the For the People Act. So we shall see. I actually think Democrats will pass federal voting rights reform of some kind in the Senate, whether it's enough and whether it's soon enough to counter the massive voter suppression measures being undertaken by state Republicans right now. Well, that remains to be seen. In fact, all of it does. So, yep, stay tuned. Green, Re Green News Report is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, I know we're in a hurry. I already <laughs> cut 10 stories today, Desi Doyen. So we will get to it. Our latest Green News report. It was like a tidal wave that just came over the road and into my yard and swept my house away. Unprecedented storm in Tennessee shatters rainfall records, triggers deadly flooding. Tropical storm Henri breaks rainfall records, cancels Barry Manilow. What? The Montreal Protocol saved the ozone layer and bought us time on global warming. Plus... A couple of days ago, it rained at the summit 
of Greenland. Scientists shocked at first ever rain at Greenland's highest point. All of those no longer shocking stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Captain Planet, the world is on fire. Oh, now you're concerned. I've been warning you for decades. Now beat it, I'm trying to forget. But we need you to save the planet. We still have a chance. Ha! Did you read the UN report? We're screwed. (laughs) By the way, anyone know Elon Musk? I want to catch the next rocket out of this fire trap. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. My advice is drink heavily and wait for the sweet darkness to come. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm telling you, we're going to look back at this as the summer of climate change 2021. It has been bad. I don't remember anything like this in the in the past. Yes, it's it's really remarkable. Record-shattering rainfall in Tennessee on Saturday triggered catastrophic sudden flash floods that killed at least 22 people, with about 10 still listed as missing as we go to air. In Hayes County, 17 inches of rain fell in just 24 hours, triple what was forecast, breaking the previous state record by three inches. Fast-rising floods swept buildings off their foundations, destroyed roads and bridges, knocked out electricity and communications. It was the second major flood event in Tennessee this year alone. Nashville was hit by deadly floods back in March. Or... Just another day in climate-changed America. In the Northeast, Tropical Storm Henri made landfall on the coast of Rhode Island on Sunday, knocking out electricity to hundreds of thousands and also causing extensive flooding from Pennsylvania to Maine. Henri also canceled that big Welcome Back New York City concert in Central Park, which was good because shortly after, the storm broke Central Park's record for the most rainfall in a single hour since record-keeping began in the 1800s. Barry Manilow was canceled mid-song, but he somewhat ironically picked it up over cell phone on CNN. I made a the rain. I kept my world protected. Now, because Henri is such a slow and sprawling storm system, it will continue drenching the inland northeast for days, hampering recovery efforts and threatening further flooding in areas where the ground is already saturated from a wet summer. Now, that's two record-breaking extreme rainfall events in just 48 hours in the U.S., a thousand miles apart. Mm. Both are examples of the same phenomenon. Human-caused climate change is super supercharging extreme rainfall events, which scientists warn will become more common as the burning of fossil fuels warms the planet further. On the other hand, it did cancel Barry Manilow. That's because a warmer atmosphere can hold more water vapor, about 7% more water for every 1 degree Celsius of warming. NOAA studies show that heavy downpours in the eastern U.S. have increased roughly 50% since the 1970s. President Biden, in remarks on Sunday, urged all Americans to get prepared before weather disasters strike. You mean like 20 years ago? And to everyone across the country, don't get caught by the next storm. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated now. Protect yourself and your family against COVID-19. It's going to be a vital part of emergency preparedness this year for the remainder of this year. 
Because when you're sheltered, hiding from the latest disaster, you're going to want to be immune from the previous disaster. Exactly. Also, in yet another signal of how climate change is affecting every part of the planet, Greenland saw rain instead of snow at the two-mile-high summit of its ice sheet for the first time on record. Temperatures at the summit over the weekend rose above freezing for the third time in less than 10 years. It was also the heaviest rainfall event on the ice sheet since record began in 1950. The amount of ice loss on Sunday was seven times higher than the average for this time of year. Because the rain melts the ice. Yep. Finally, some good news. Yay. Remember the Montreal Protocol? The first ever global climate treaty signed in 1987. It saved the ozone layer. Turns out it was even more successful than thought. It phased out chemicals known as HFCs and CFCs used in refrigeration and air conditioning, which are also powerful greenhouse gases. A new study has found that phasing those out also bought us some time on the climate crisis by avoiding, quote, a catastrophic collapse of forests and croplands, which would have added billions more tons of carbon to the atmosphere. The treaty kept global temperatures from rising an additional 2.5 degrees Celsius by the end of this century. You're welcome. For more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. I made it through the rain I kept my world protected I made it through We kid Barry Manilow. We do. We love Barry Manilow. Because we love Barry Manilow. Who doesn't love Barry Manilow? What's not to love? Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which everything we do is made possible by listeners like you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. If you haven't been there in a while, uh, please do stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Key change. I-